0: I got something you should try It's crunchy, green, and yummy And it's about to blow your mind It's low on calories And it looks like mini trees When you're having dinner with me Broccoli
1: Dr. Yami Cazorla-Lancaster, board certified pediatrician, certified food for life cooking and nutrition instructor, certified well coach, and passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, behavior change, and motivation so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And I hope that you keep coming back as a regular listener. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Today on the show, I have with me a very accomplished and experienced physician, Dr. Delia Garcia. Dr. Garcia is a board certified radiation oncologist who practiced medicine for 27 years. Listed in America's top rated physicians, she is a leading expert in breast cancer and was chosen by her peers for best doctors in America. Dr. Garcia lectures extensively and is the author of over 50 publications and book chapters. In 1999, she founded St. Louis Cancer and Breast Institute with four other female physicians, a comprehensive breast center. And she was inspired to reinvent herself as a health coach when breast cancer patients in her practice kept getting younger and younger, as young as 17 years old. Dr. Garcia left her medical practice in 2011 and is now a full-time certified health coach. She wakes up each morning with passion and purpose, excited to help people eliminate medications and prevent and reverse disease so they can live longer, healthier lives. And she has helped thousands of people Transform their lives physically, mentally, and financially. Dr. Garcia, it is an honor to have you on the show today.
0: Thank you, thank you so much for inviting me.
1: And I had the privilege of hearing you lecture at the Plantrician Conference this past September in California. For anybody that hasn't been to that conference, I highly recommend it, it was just fabulous. And it was great to hear you lecture because I learned so much. As a breast cancer expert, you know that this is one of the most dreaded diseases that females face in the United States and around the world. And just like I said in your bio, you started to see younger and younger women being diagnosed with this disease. As a leading expert in breast cancer, tell me about the importance of nutrition and lifestyle in the prevention of disease.
0: Uh, Nutrition and lifestyle is absolutely crucial in not only preventing breast cancer, um, other cancers as well, but it's also crucial in um, lowering the risk of all of the major disease killers that we see in our country, hypertension, uh, diabetes, heart disease, stroke, Alzheimer's. And a lot of times in medicine, we tend to uh, put different diseases in categories. How do you prevent breast cancer? How do you prevent prostate cancer? What about heart disease? What about Alzheimer's? It's all the same. Um, If you look at the basic mechanisms of how diseases manifest, It's either a decrease in blood flow or inflammation. And with diet and lifestyle, we can increase blood flow, we can decrease inflammation, and therefore we can reduce our risk of every chronic, virtually every chronic uh, disease on the planet.
1: I love how you simplify that down to basically the foundation of the origin of disease, inflammation and decrease in blood flow. So let's talk a bit about nutrition. What do you feel is the ideal way of eating?
0: Um, It's absolutely clear that the best uh, diet on the planet is plant-based. So eating as many fruits and vegetables as we can, um, whole grains, nuts, seeds, beans, other legumes, and really minimizing uh, the intake of animal products. Mm -hmm. Uh, As human beings, we were meant to eat plants. Somewhere along the the way, we fell off the wagon, so to speak, and we became a society uh, that is uh, addicted to animal products. And we know from oh countless um, research studies, countless um, publications, countless books, that people that consume the most dairy and the most meat have the highest risk of all those chronic diseases that I mentioned, diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, various cancers. So the best uh, diet is a plant-based diet.
1: <clears throat> and If somebody can't go 100%, because there's a lot of people that aren't interested in becoming 100% plant-based or vegan, where should they focus?
0: Uh, that's a wonderful question. Um, one of, As you mentioned in my bio, I am health coaching now, and I've been doing this for about 15 years. It started first in my practice with my very young breast cancer patients. And then it's um, filtered into um, you know my current life. So it's a very important um, piece. But I always meet people where they are. And I think that's really, really important. A lot of times as uh, health professionals, we can become very judgmental you know, we see someone who weighs 300 pounds, and um, and should should ideally weigh weigh 150 pounds. And and when we jump on the judgment wagon, we're not going to be able to help um, more people. And so I meet people where they are, and it is a spectrum. Uh, we have on the. Um, uh, one far end of the spectrum, people that are consuming the standard American diet, um, a lot of uh, meat and dairy, junk food, fast food. And what we wanna do is gradually move them to the other end of the spectrum. So I'm very, very kind and compassionate and, um, and aware that it's not something that can happen overnight for most individuals. In fact, when I look at my own life and my own diet, um, when I was in uh, college and medical school, I was eating a lot of fast food and and junk food. Um, I didn't uh, know the data at that time. And uh, as a a student, I was extremely busy and didn't have uh, time to to buy the healthy food. So it is a spectrum. And if we can gradually add fruits and vegetables to a person's diet, uh, getting them to order the salad at a restaurant instead of the double burger and the platter of French fries, uh, maybe ordering a side of of vegetables, um, having fruit, a couple of servings of fruit throughout the day, uh, those uh, tiny uh, things can make uh, a big difference over time because what you're doing is you're helping people to change their taste buds.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, if their taste buds are programmed to the junk food, uh, you oftentimes can't change that in, you know, one day or a week or, or even a month.
1: Absolutely. And I think one of the things that I also encourage patients that Feel like it would be daunting like to them it's just like oh my gosh that is so overwhelming to think of going hundred percent plant-based is don't even think about removing anything just focus on adding focus on adding the fruits and vegetables focus on adding more water intake instead of thinking about giving up all diet soda and never eating meat again you know and that seems a little bit easier and friendlier to some people and I think that's the difference too, as you've probably noticed between the expert model that we learn as physicians, that we just tell people what to do, and the coaching model that you've learned in helping guide people, meeting them where they are, helping them take those baby steps if they need to. Dr. Garcia, tell me, when did you discover the importance and the power of nutrition in a plant-based diet, and how has your diet evolved over time?
0: Well, I actually, you know, if I go back um, in time, I finished my training in oncology. I trained at Washington University here in St. Louis, and, and this is where I've uh, practiced uh, for all of my career. But when I look back, when I first started um, in practice, um, the women that I saw with breast cancer were my age. They were in their 50s and older. And then as time went on, I started to see women in their 40s and 30s and 20s. And one day, as you mentioned in my bio, I saw a 17-year-old who came in with her mom and dad to discuss her breast cancer treatment options. And I sat there incredulous, taking her history, doing her physical exam, and thinking to myself, how can this be that this beautiful teenage girl who should, should be out picking out her prom dress was sitting in front of me talking about a mastectomy and chemotherapy and radiation and breast reconstruction, all of those things. And unfortunately, that young teenager died nine months later, of um, massive liver metastases. Uh, I became so emotionally attached to that woman, but I was emotionally attached to the women in their 20s and in their 30s and 40s. And part of the reason why is I would encourage young women, uh, I'm a radiation oncologist, and so when women undergo radiation uh, therapy, the treatments only take a few minutes, you know, from the time they walk in the door to the time they're walking out is maybe 30 minutes maximum. And so, uh, and the treatments take sometimes, you know, five, six, seven weeks. So I would encourage the young women to bring their children in and my nurse or one of my staff would keep an eye on, on them while their moms were back getting their treatment. But that visual of those young children um, really instilled in my mind the importance of getting those moms healthy and I knew that it was more than surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation. And so I became very aware of the fact that women who have excess weight, women who are overweight uh, and women who are obese are at a much higher risk of developing breast cancer in the first place, but they're at a higher risk of a recurrence or a second breast cancer or other chronic diseases because of that weight. So uh, excess body fat uh, results in estrogen dominance, high circulating estrogen levels, and that's the precursor for breast cancer. So that having that knowledge made me very aware that in order to get these women healthy so that they could um, survive and raise their own children, um, I needed to help them get to a healthy weight um, and improve their diet and their lifestyle. And so I became obsessed with that, especially with those young women And that's what has brought me to where I am today.
1: Wow. That is just so powerful. I got full body chills and I've heard that story before, but still that is so powerful. And I love how you were able to connect what motivates you to having those little kids come in, knowing that you're fighting for that mom, but you're also fighting for those children because it's generations and generations, right? And especially as females, We're so important to our families. We're so important to our children and our grandchildren. So how do we focus, now that we're talking about trying to get that body fat down, trying to get to an ideal body weight, how do we focus on our diet and lifestyle for this long-term health disease prevention instead of bikini body?
0: Yeah, you know, for me, it's never been about wearing a a bikini or, you know, looking good on the beach. Um, I do want to say that I myself have never struggled with weight. Um, But we know that two thirds of Americans are overweight, and half of those are obese. So it's a huge problem. And again, it's all related to our our diet and our lifestyle, the fast food industry, um, stress. You know, we have a lot of moms out there, uh, many of of whom are, are single moms, and they're working two and three jobs to make ends meet, to be able to put food on the table. So there are lots of things in people's lives that sometimes we don't know about. And that's the one thing that I prided myself in when I was in practice was I got to know my patients. I asked a lot of questions. Um, I I have a really good memory for the names of people's children, where they went to grade school and high school and college and and things like that. Um, People have to know you care uh, in order to then take the advice that, that you dole out. Um, so it's, um, it's really important to help women see that they need to take the time to take care of themselves so that they can take care of their family and their, their children and so on and so forth. So starting with baby steps, you know, a lot of times as health professionals, uh, we point a finger and we tell people, you know, eat less and exercise more and do this and do that. And it doesn't work that way. It's kind of like raising children. You know, we don't expect our children to know what to do um, from us lecturing them. We have to model and we have to um, be the role models for uh, for our kids and, and the people around us. So really helping uh, mothers to slow down, uh, helping them to realize how important it is to sleep better and to hydrate and to uh, move, exercise, get into the habit of exercise, and taking that time to um, eat healthily. And nowadays we have Some great tools. Uh, I recommend, um, this may sound funny, but I recommend the salad bags. Uh, If you live in a major uh, city like I do, I have a Sam's card. Some people have a Costco's card. But you can find these bags of salad um, that have cabbage and broccoli and kale and um, slivered almonds and cranberries and, and even the dressing along with it. And so um, whatever it is that makes it convenient uh, for people, because we live in a real world where, you know, people are busy. They're, uh, they're trying to rush to their child's uh, game or dance recital or basketball practice, and they have work and, uh, and all the household, household things in front of them. Too. Those salad bags from Sam, Sam's, by the way, are two dollars and fifty-eight cents a piece, and they can serve four people if it's a side, you know, dish. Um, they can serve two people. Um, I eat a whole salad bag almost every day myself. That's my lunch. So there are easy ways to get the, those healthy foods in.
1: Absolutely. I am a huge fan of Costco, and I've made a couple of videos on products and ways to eat at Costco that make it very, like you said, very convenient. So you can fit things in a lot of whole foods that have already been prepackaged. So you can save time. You don't have to do all the preparatory time that it takes. What do you see as the biggest obstacle for permanent weight loss for people? Because obviously, it's a billion dollar industry, there's all kinds of people trying to help people lose weight, but the majority of people aren't gonna be able to keep it off. So what is that barrier that, that keeps people from keeping it
0: off? Yeah, the two barriers that I see, number one is the diet mentality. Um, and, um, and I'm gonna write this down so I don't forget um, to mention. So I wanna talk about two things, the diet mentality, um, and I want to talk about the exercise um, uh, misconception. So let's talk about exercise first. So people think that to lose weight, you have to exercise like a fiend, and many people have watched the program The Biggest Loser, where you know these contestants are sweating it out for two and three and four hours in the gym, um, and that is um, entertainment for the people watching the program. It's cruelty and really abuse for those contestants, especially uh, they they're uh, on that show, they're really heavy. They're gonna blow out a knee or a joint or or have a heart attack uh, exercising like that before they've lost the weight. So, Um, Years ago, I um, downloaded an article from Time Magazine, which was titled, The Myth About Exercise. And in that article, uh, it stated that a person would have to run 33 miles, 33 miles to burn one pound of fat. Now, who's going to do it? I'm not. (laughs) I don't want to run 33 miles. Um, and, um, And when you're heavy, it's dangerous. To, to get out there and, and uh, run long distance. So it's not about the exercise, it is about the calories and the way that you put them in. Exercise is really more for toning, maintaining, uh, building your cardiovascular um, and, um, and just feeling good, those endorphins that help to decrease um, depression and elevate our mood. Uh, so that's the exercise piece. Um, you don't have to exercise like crazy to lose weight. In fact, a healthy uh, tip for exercise is brisk walking 30 minutes or an hour a day, or riding your bike, or swimming, or playing out in the backyard with your kids. So, the other uh, point that I wanted to make about losing weight and why it's so difficult for people is the diet mentality. So when you have uh, that diet mentality, that's a negative mindset. Um, I can't eat this, I have to do that. Uh, Instead, I like people to change their mindset to, I'm going to work to create the best version of myself. So working towards optimal health, instead of working towards um, a, a diet or, or losing weight. And it really does uh, make a difference. Um, really getting, creating the best version of oneself is a lifelong transformation. It's a journey that never ends. And I like to say, let's do it one healthy habit at a time. You know, adding the water, adding some movement, um, eating a salad at lunchtime instead of the burger and the french fries. So those little things that over time can make a big difference. And with the health coaching that I do, um, it's something that um, I I work with people uh, every step of the way, celebrate them uh, as they're uh, reaching these milestones. Uh, but you know, loving, supporting, and guiding them, never judging, criticizing, or or beating them up. So mm-hmm. and, and that's important.
1: and that's really important what you said about choosing a path that allows you to maintain long-term habits because that dieting mentality, we've always thought of it as a short-term thing, right? Like, okay, just going to do this grueling, painful thing just for this wedding or just for this one summer vacation. But this is, these are the skills and the habits that you establish for a lifetime of health and longevity. So I love, I love that approach. Can we talk a little bit more about exercise? So you started talking about exercise and seeing exercise as what it can do for your mood and your well-being. How important is resistance or strength training for women, especially, and how does that factor into our disease prevention?
0: Um, I think that we um, put too much emphasis on uh, weights and and things that are really um, exercise that that men uh, gravitate towards. Um, Walking, like I said, walking, brisk walking, uh, jogging, riding your bicycle. Um, So I think it's important to do some cardio. And I myself love uh, spinning. I do spinning classes uh, three days a week. And then on the alternate days, I do yoga. Yoga is a fabulous way to improve balance, improve core strength, um, help with breathing, with posture. So we don't have to be there, you know, lifting these heavy weights like a lot of the guys like to do. Um, I um, have found that combination to be really good and then once a week I do a long walk, maybe an hour and a half um, I live close to a um, a park, and or I'll ride my bike for an hour or an hour and a half, two hours. Um, so changing it up, I think, is important. But do you know getting into a routine where you're doing exercise on a cons- consistent basis is really important. And there uh, there is a lot of uh, published data showing that. Women who exercise three to five hours a week, again, it doesn't have to be 10 hours a week, but three to five hours a week, um, can lower their risk of breast cancer, um, by as much as 40%. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing with, with exercise is you're improving your immune system. You're improving your, you know, cardiovascular, um, and, um, and, and it makes a difference.
1: Yeah, I love that. And just like you had began the, the podcast talking about the inflammation, when we do this moderate amount of exercise, it decreases our inflammation. Three to five hours a week, once you get into a habit, that's totally achievable.
0: It you is, were- and it, I wanted to mention too, if you have children, do it with your kids. I always tell women, when you get home from work, put on your comfortable shoes and grab the kids and go for a bike ride or grab the kids and, you know, run around the, the park. Um, children love to be with their parents.
1: And children love to move. They're naturally moving all the time. In fact, half of the time we're telling them to calm down, sit down, but they're, they naturally exercise. They naturally know that that's good for them and it makes them feel good. So we can learn a lot from kids. You had mentioned earlier about how women do need to practice better self-care. We're overworked, we're overstressed, working two jobs, and one of the first things that we tend to skimp on is sleep. How important is sleep and how much sleep should we be getting for disease prevention?
0: Well, um, sleep is tremendously important, and there are some um, really interesting uh, studies that have been published on melatonin. So as um, you know, light decreases uh, at night. Then melatonin starts to be secreted, uh, and melatonin is the hormone that helps us fall asleep and stay asleep. So, uh, some of the published studies have shown that uh, people that work at night, nurses, for instance, um, any form of night worker have an increased risk of breast cancer, um, as high as 40% higher risk. And and it's because uh, that lack of sleep is disrupting melatonin. Melatonin inhibits um, development of tumors and also inhibits uh, tumor growth. So sleep is restorative. Um, It's not just a waste of time, but we're actually... um, restoring um, and um, and and helping our cells uh, heal and um, and get back into that um, beautiful balance that the human body is. Mm-hmm.
1: And can you talk a minute about sleep hygiene for people that have had this long-term history of skimping on sleep? Maybe they've developed insomnia because of their habits. What little habits can they start to implement that help them sleep better and longer?
0: turn off the electronics um, that's so important turn off the television i don't think that televisions belong in a bedroom um, get rid of your uh self you know turn off your cell phones turn off your computers and start to uh quiet yourself in the evening maybe you know get into a habit of reading um maybe drinking a cup of herbal tea but you know, quieting, Um, uh, the room should be uh, dark and the room should be cooler. Uh, So really uh, establishing uh, that um, environment that is conducive uh, to sleep. You know, if you're falling asleep with the television going on, then you're not, uh, it's not restful uh, sleep. And then also having uh, a habit, you know, at such and such a time, everything gets turned off, you get in bed. And, um, and then, you know, a time when you uh, get yourself up in the morning. So but for women, we need about uh, seven hours of um, sleep a night. Uh, Men, you know, sometimes men need an extra hour. Uh, So yeah, about seven Mm -hmm. hours is, is a good amount.
1: Mm hmm. And I think that tip about getting rid of the electronics is huge because there's so many people that have grown accustomed to falling asleep with that glare in their face, pillow, you know, their, their phone under their pillow and it's the last thing they see before they go to sleep. The first thing they see when they wake up. So that might be really a really big challenge for some people just to start with that, but it is a good habit to develop, to get better sleep. I want to touch on a couple of controversial topics. I live in the Pacific Northwest and wine is very popular here. (laughs) So I wanted to talk a little bit about alcohol. The World Health Organization has said that there is no safe amount of alcohol when it comes to the risk of breast cancer. What are your thoughts on alcohol?
0: Well, I have read those studies uh, as well and I certainly, recommend to my patients and my clients that they really be careful about alcohol. First of all, if you choose to consume alcohol, we don't have to drink every day, right? You know, keep it for a special occasion or maybe on uh, the weekends. Uh, But it's true that the World Health Organization classified alcohol as a breast carcinogen. And Uh, According to the World Health Organization, no amount of alcohol is safe. However, uh, red wine has never shown to increase the risk of breast cancer. So there's something about the substances in the the skins of uh, dark grapes that um, may provide uh, a protective uh, effect. So I think the bottom line is uh, moderation, and moderation for me means uh, one, you know, at most two glasses of wine uh, on a given day or a given evening. And um, so, not drinking every day, but if you choose to drink, having one or two glasses of red wine um, in, in lieu of white wine or other forms of alcohol.
1: Well, I think people will be very pleased to hear that because like I said, it's wine is very, very popular here. Could, if you don't like alcohol, could you get those same benefits from just eating grapes or other fruits and vegetables?
0: Absolutely, yes. Um, yes, eating grapes uh, can have that protective effect, yes.
1: Excellent. And then the other controversial topic I wanted to touch on is mammograms. This is something that is... Talked about breast cancer awareness campaigns, get your mammograms, it's very important for a screening tool. But then there are some other experts that say that it increases the treatment, overtreatment, and overdiagnosis of breast cancer. What are your thoughts on mammograms, and should we be following the current recommendations?
0: Well, that, that is a, a really good question. I am an advocate of mammography starting at about uh, age 40. Uh, and the mammograms now, it's much lower radiation exposure. Uh, the quality of the mammograms is so much better. And, um, and so what mammography does, it's, not, it's, a, it's an early diagnosis uh, tool Um, many people, you know, use the words, oh, I'm going to have my mammogram to decrease my risk of breast cancer. Mammography doesn't obviously decrease the risk of breast cancer, but it diagnoses breast cancers at an earlier point in time when they're uh, more curable. They're smaller, um, they haven't yet spread to lymph nodes and and so forth. Um, I think it's really important to go to a dedicated, reputable center instead of a radiology department where they don't really have the mammography expertise because it's one of the most difficult uh, studies um, to interpret. And uh, in women that carry the breast cancer gene, the BRCA1 or 2 genes, those women. Have a 50 to 60 percent risk of developing breast cancer, so those women um, would be better served by having uh, an MRI uh, on a yearly basis. There's no radiation exposure with an MRI, and it's uh, it's much more sensitive than a mammogram. Why not for everyone then? Well, MRIs are. Um, much more expensive, and and really, we can't justify the healthcare dollars for everyone to have that.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for answering that question. I think those are some good tips. And because you brought up the, the BRCA genes, and there are some women that have a high risk of breast cancer, either because of those genes, or they have several women in their family who have suffered from breast cancer. Does having that family history doom you into the fate of having breast cancer?
0: Well, women who have a family history, a first degree relative, a mother uh, or a sister who had breast cancer are at higher risk of developing breast cancer. But it's interesting that it's not a higher risk because they carry the... Breast cancer gene. Only five percent of breast cancers uh, are associated with the breast cancer gene. It's usually an increased risk because of similar habits. You know, so if you look at families, um, you know, mom is obese and the children are obese. Um, mom is not eating healthily. She's not feeding her kids healthy foods mom's not exercising the kids aren't exercising you know so it's really family habits you know it's like sometimes we work with um with patients and clients where they say well my whole family died of heart disease but when you look at the family and what they're eating no wonder the whole family died of heart disease um and the whole family is overweight or obese so it's lifestyle um, decisions that those families uh, make. One thing that I wanted to mention, because this issue um, comes up almost every day of the week for me, and that is soy. Um, So I wanted to put the soy issue to rest. Soy does not cause breast cancer, it never has. People that consume soy do not have a higher risk of breast cancer. They actually have a lower risk of breast cancer. And one very important study that was published um, in cancer in June of 2017, so it's a very recent study, um, over 6,000 women, uh, all with a history of breast cancer, were followed Uh, for a minimum of 10 years. And the women that consumed the most soy were in the top 25th percentile of soy consumption, were 21% less likely to die of any cause compared to those that were eating the the least amount of soy. Um, These were American women, Uh, it was a diverse population, Uh, 17% were Hispanic, 12% Black, 11% Asian. And um, again, those women that consume soy had the lowest uh, recurrence rates. They had the highest survival. And other studies have shown similar results. Um, So there's a lot of hype about soy. It's a plant. It's a great source of plant-based protein. It feeds... Millions of people around the planet, and um, and I'm uh, puzzled as to why it's gotten such a bad rap. So,
1: thank you so much for bringing, it's like you read my mind. That was actually one of my questions that I wanted you to address because there is a huge, huge fear and aversion to soy. But in my, I teach cooking and nutrition classes. One of the things I like to remind people because I think people just feel like soy is this thing like this weird thing. and it's like, soy, it's just a bean. It's just a bean, just like other beans, you know? But I also tell people if they're really that fearful of soy, they don't have to be, but if they are, there's hundreds of other types of beans. Just eat beans. Beans with that high fiber, they have antioxidants in them. They're just a great food for our health and longevity. So thank you so much for bringing that up. I wanted to shift gears back to you, what personal habit are you most proud of? How did you achieve it and how do you maintain it?
0: Oh my goodness. Well, two things, um my diet and my activity. So, um as I already mentioned, I am a lover of exercise. It's part of my routine. I get up, I do it um first thing in the morning and um and it's not something that I dread. It's something that I look forward to, uh, and I don't even think about it. You know, I go to a spinning class the next day. It's yoga, and and then I love, you know, getting outside on the weekends when it's nice. So exercise is a big part of my life, and the other part is the the, uh, dietary piece. Um, I am a lover of plants, uh, and... I've learned how important it is to eat a plant-based diet, and uh, and I also uh, know how um, cruel it is to animals. Um, you know the these big mega farms that uh, that produce the beef um, and the chickens. That we see at the grocery store—it's uh, inhumane treatment of animals, and also it's the um, one of the biggest reasons for global warming—is the um, is raising animals around the planet, destroying the rainforest, and and um, I, one book that I like people to kind of get started with um, when they want to learn more about a plant-based diet, um, how harmful um, the uh, animal industry is for the uh, environment and the planet, is a book titled Healthy Healthy at 100, Healthy at 100, Healthy at 100 by John Robbins. And John Robbins Um, his father and his uncle founded Baskin Robbins and both his father and uncle died um, young in their fifties of heart disease. And so John Robbins took a different route. He became very aware of the fact that a plant, uh, an animal based uh, and dairy based diet is uh, not healthy. And so he, um, is a plant-based, um, uh, you know, consumer, and um, and so it's just a wonderful book if you want to, you know, kind of jump in and learn more about plant-based eating and um, and uh, environmental effects.
1: Oh well, thank you for the recommendation. I'll put it in the show notes so that people can check it out. Whenever you first change to a plant-based diet? Was it difficult for you at first or was it something that just fit into your lifestyle easily?
0: Um, I'll say that especially when I went to restaurants and I read the menu and the, the burger with the blue cheese sounded so delicious. Um, and, uh, and maybe that uh, filet you know, with the twice-baked potato, uh, sounded so delicious. But you know, I, again, I just jumped in and I started, um, you know, doing it uh, a little bit at a time. I, I'm a big oatmeal for breakfast sort of person, and maybe a serving of of blueberries in the morning. So breakfast is easy, and lunch. I just started eating a salad for lunch instead of, you know, a burger or a chicken breast or whatever. And then dinner, um, again, I, I, I love to cook and I'm a, I think I'm a, an above average cook. And so I've, you know, um, I go, I pull out my iPad and I Google, um, a um, plant-based recipe and and try new things. It's fun. It's not difficult. Um, And uh, also, you know, like for instance, I make a really mean vegan uh, chili, and I'll make a big pot of it, and I can eat a bowl of chili every day for a week or 10 days. Um, It's so delicious. And then I'm having my salad at lunch. So I don't think it's, it's difficult to make the change. Uh, as you're making the change, your taste buds um, change. And so you start craving more uh, plants and, um, and vegetables and fruits and, and all of that. So it's, a, it's really a mind shift that happens, but also it's a, it's a physical change that happens.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I love that because it is it's something that gets easier over time. The first part might be a little difficult, you might still have some cravings. But as you neuro adapt to those flavors, you actually start craving the healthier foods. And just like you pointed out, simplicity is totally fine. I think sometimes people focus on okay, I have to have a different thing every single day. And I have to try all these different gourmet recipes. It can be easy, and I eat very, very simply: a sweet potato with one of those, you know, kale salad things, and um, a little bit of salsa and some cashew cream sauce, and I'm good to go. <laughs> so it can be very,
0: very simple. A handful of nuts every day. You know, mm-hmm. that. Yep.
1: Yeah, and um, now that you're working as a health coach, I know that you are doing different things. So if you could tell us about what services you offer and how listeners can connect with you.
0: Um, Well, I left mainstream medicine in 2011 and um, to pursue health coaching full time. And, um, And I probably would still be practicing, but one of the major hospital systems bought our practice. I voted against the sale, but my partners voted for the sale. And so overnight, it became a very different uh, practice. So I decided I was going to jump off the cliff and do health coaching full time. I, I had already been doing that in my uh, practice, but now, you know, I had a lot more time. So, what I do is I work with um, primarily people that um, have weight issues. So, people that uh, want to get to a healthier weight get off their medications, um, and reverse diseases such as hypertension, uh, diabetes, um, You know, lower their risk of heart disease, and, and so forth. But I also have a population of cancer patients, people that have had um, a diagnosis of cancer in the past. Uh, maybe there's no evidence of remaining cancer. Um, and then there are other people where they do have metastatic disease and they're wanting to prolong their survival. And so I, um, help them the, the heavy people that have weight to lose. I help them get their weight off fast and safely. I have a structured program that I use. I coach them every uh, week, um, and walk alongside them and, and, um, once they get to their goal weight, help them through transition and maintenance so they learn how to keep their weight off for life and they're not gaining it all back. Um, with the cancer population, um, there I'm uh, jumping right into helping them adopt uh, a plant-based diet. Again, make you know going along that spectrum from where they are to where I would like them to be um, you know, in baby steps. So it's kind of a mixed bag, but, um, you know, I think what's really, really important is to see where people are starting, where they want to go, and then meet them right there and, and, uh, begin that, um, that transformation, one healthy habit at a time, um, and, um, and just love and guide and support them.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. And what motivates you to get up every morning and do this work?
0: Oh my gosh. I want to improve the health of our country and improve the health of the world because we've exported obesity into other countries with our fast food uh, and unhealthy lifestyle. So even... I was in China um, last year for a couple of weeks and you know most Chinese are pretty healthy although there's a lot of pollution in China that was appalling but there are you know unhealthy people there and um, unhealthy people in in every part of the world so uh, and again, I'm so family oriented I want men and women to, live long healthy lives so that they can raise their own children Mm -hmm. children deserve to be raised by their own uh, parents and so if anyone you know uh, would like my help or assistance um, I can I'll have to admit I can miss emails because I get so many emails Um, but my cell phone is really the best way to reach me uh, texting or just picking up the phone and and, um, uh, because I do this full time, I'm, I'm not in an office. I work from home and, um, and I just, it's my honor and my privilege and my pleasure to help people improve their health. So beautiful.
1: And you work with people across the nation. They can.
0: Yep, yes, absolutely. Yes. By phone, by video conference, if they're local, I'll meet them uh, face-to-face, yes.
1: Excellent. And do you have, are you on social media? Can people find out more about you on Facebook?
0: Yes, um, I do have a Facebook presence um, and my Facebook is um, Delia Garcia MD, D-E-L-I-A-G-A-R-C-I-A When you go to Facebook, there's a lot of Delia Garcias, believe it or not. But I'm the only MD, so you know, okay.
1: Yeah. And I'll make sure I put it in the show notes as well. Well, Dr. Garcia, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you today. You have so much wonderful information and passion, and I am just really grateful that you're out there doing the work that you're doing.
0: Thank you for inviting me.
1: Well, thank you for the conversation, and have a plantastic day. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash rocket surgeons music. Also, for more information on my work, you can find me at facebook.com forward slash VeggieFitKids or you can email me at veggie doctor, V-E-G-G-I-E-D-O-C-T-O-R at veggiefitkids.com sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and contact me if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. We're
0: having broccoli. We're having broccoli. We're having broccoli.